Hey guys, I'm Waylon. And I'm Allie. Welcome back to the Entrepreneurs Podcast, the podcast for and by women entrepreneurs. Each week, we share insightful and inspiring conversations with women entrepreneurs from around the world. To check out our past episodes and be notified for our future ones, subscribe to us on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us now. Today, we're chatting with Olivia Coach James, founder and CEO of Luna Naturals. Get ready as we talk with Olivia about sustainable period care, education, and community empowerment. Hello, and welcome back to the Entrepreneurs Podcast, and welcome to season three and our first podcast of 2022. We are super excited for today's podcast. Ali, do you want to introduce our guest for us? Absolutely. Today, we are so excited to be having on Olivia. Olivia, besides being a Forbes student of 30 Tatler Gen T 2020 Young Business Leader. She's also the founder of Luna, which is an award-winning period care company driven by purpose. Proudly built in Asia, Luna redefines attitudes to hormonal health and period wellness through ethical product innovation, thought leadership, and policy change. So Olivia, we are so excited to have you on today. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm a little bit nervous. I haven't done a podcast in ages, so Same. I'm trying to get Same. back to something. <laughs> totally. So just to get us starting off easy, super chill, love to ask all our podcast guests right when we start, what excites you when you wake up in the morning? My answer to that right now is very different to what it normally is. Normally, honestly, I would say I get really excited by going into the office and being around my team. I really, really feed off that energy, but not to dwell too much on COVID. We're back working from home at the moment. And um, so I suppose what really excites me, it looks a little bit different. Um, I try and start my mornings at the moment with um, focusing on a few of the really exciting things that we're working on. I've heard a lot of people who use a method of getting kind of the kind of annoying tasks out the way. Um, but what I like to do is start my day by focusing on addressing something that I'm really passionate about because for anybody that runs a business, you know, there's so much admin and operations involved. Um, but I think in lieu of being able to go to the office and feed off the energy of my team, I really need to get my day started with something that I feel really passionate about. So if that's um, organizing a workshop with one of our corporate or school clients, if it's, you know, approving a new awesome campaign campaign from our marketing team that's really what gets my day off to a good start now that we're back working from home I absolutely love that and I also love this idea of being able to feed off of other people's energies Um, especially today I feel like I had such a hectic day and just hearing you talk and be so passionate about the work that you're doing like I'm feeling energized for (laughs) this podcast but also for the rest of my night we mentioned a lot of your accolades and famous awards that you've gotten, but I'd love to hear more about what you wish people knew about you. I increasingly am so aware that there's this portrayal of me, and I'm not that active personally on social media, so it's not even, I think, through my own social media platforms. I think people see me as being sort of uber, uber confident, right? All the time. This keeps coming back to me. There's been a few conversations over the last few months where I'm just so aware that people are so surprised when they hear that, you know, I have insecurities, that I am struggling. So much of the time, Luna is amazed, doing amazingly well at the moment. And we're portraying such a outwards persona, which is really, really great. But What I also really want to do when I speak to people and particularly on podcasts like this is just remind people that I don't have it all sorted. And I think too many times I think people have that um, view of me 
Um, you know, there are so many struggles day in, day out when it comes to running and growing this business um, in so, so many ways that I had never anticipated before launching this company. And I'm really, really passionate about talking about those challenges because I think it's incredibly dangerous to um, allow this um, image of things being, you know, all sunshine and all rosy all the time to persist. 100%. I actually saw this post for the first time from you. I don't know if you know this, but I was stalking some of your social medias, trying to get prepped for the interview, that sort of thing. And I saw this post you did, or maybe it was a, no, correct me. I'm completely wrong. For why wait when you yeah. spoke at the conference? So we, we hosted the first Gen Z led female entrepreneurship conference in Shanghai. And you gave a wonderful, wonderful video presentation. But what I love most was you had this presentation, like slides that went along with it. And in it, you had like, this is what you think it looks like making deals, shaking hands, going out for lunch. In reality, it was like you like 2% battery, different coffees, trying to get on different cafe, Wi Fi's. And I just thought that was so brilliant. Like, really, like no one talks about that grungy, not fun, glamorous part of it. And I love how you so dive into that and celebrate that. So huge props to you really was inspiring to me because it can be difficult to be like, why does it seem like everyone's living at this awesome, like amazing office? Everyone's super happy. It's so easy. Like it's not, it's not, not. and and that, that those slides that you saw at that event are ones that we incorporate so much into all different kinds of talks that we do, because, you know, I do I guess there's no other word for it. I do cringe slightly where, you know, at the beginning of my presentation, I put like a nice looking photo of me and I've got Forbes 30 under 30 and all those accolades that you mentioned at the beginning. I do feel really inauthentic to just put that slide there and leave it. And I think there are other ways to inspire an audience, particularly an audience of budding entrepreneurs, inspiring them by being honest and authentic about the journey rather than just saying like, here's something you can aspire to be like, you should work really, really hard to get here. I think everybody really needs to respect and understand the process. And maybe some people's journeys won't have been as difficult as mine, but I was like 26, 25, 26 when I started this journey. Um, I'd never had a company before. It has been a really rough ride. So many lessons have been learned. I think if I was to start another company um, now that I've had this experience, perhaps it wouldn't be quite so rough. It wouldn't be easy. But I think for new um, entrepreneurs who've never started a business before, there's so, so much to learn. And it can be a really painful but rewarding process. And that's how I want to talk about these things. 100%. So we're going to get into one more question before we dive into our first topic, which will be about sustainable period care and why we're getting into that. So I want to know, quick rapid round, what is one word your parents would use to describe you? One word your best friend would use to describe you? And then one word your employee would use to describe you? question um wow okay so my mom does use a word consistently to describe me which is um a tornado (laughs) (laughs) so what she means by that and I think um people in other areas areas of my life would would agree if I have an idea I move very quickly um it's that's in so many cases a really positive thing I think it's um, a big reason why when I had this idea for Luna, you know, I started to explore it and nothing could get in my way. Um, But also it's a quality that you have to measure. So um, I've done that by doing some work on myself, you know, trying to think more carefully about things, approach things really strategically. Mm -hmm. And it's also something that I've had to 
build a team around so really offset the qualities that I have um which my mum would call it, call a tip tornado other people would call like enthusiasm and, and passionate so I think those are the, the words I'd hopefully um I think my team would use to describe me um but it's it's a quality that can have obviously pros and cons as well um what was the other demographic that we wanted wanted to know um, what your best friend and best your friend. employee okay um best friend I think would be empathetic mm, I love that and then what about someone working at Luna um I think passionate and, and enthusiastic <laughs> I love that um I feel like it also sums up a little bit of the energy that we see today during this podcast but to kind of shift gears a little bit um we really want to focus in on sustainable period care and why Luna has decided to be a sustainable period care company what drew you, first of all, to start a company within the period care industry? So let's go back to 2015. Mm -hmm. I was living in Hong Kong. So my mom was born and raised in Hong Kong. I was raised in the UK. And after university, I wanted to move here to understand and explore the place that she grew up and ended up totally falling in love with it. Um, over the first two years that I lived here, I didn't think anything about the fact that I had to bring suitcases of tampons back to Hong Kong with me every time I went home to the UK. Forums for people moving to the city indicated that that was pretty much the norm. You could find tampons in some stores, but there wasn't a huge choice. And to be honest, like if, if somebody had got there before you and cleaned out the shelf, then, you know, you're just going to have to go without. So there became this system of what I called back in the day of tampon muling. So, um, yeah, every time you would leave to go somewhere where there was an abundance of tampons, you'd, you'd stock up and bring it back to, to the city to use for yourself and share amongst your friends. So I didn't think anything of, of this until an incident in 2015, where I basically was over the weight limit for my luggage at the check-in desk of Heathrow Airport. Always. Had to things around. Always, I know. <laughs> Always. <laughs> I've seen this with a few people actually in airports. I had to un unpack my suitcase, reshuffle things around, and in doing so had to reveal this, this hefty supply of tampons to the queue of people behind me. <laughs> which I've seen, I've seen that in Tokyo Airport, a woman um, very yeah. much flying back to Hong Kong, having to unpack boxes and boxes of, um, of tampons as well um, a few years ago. So I know this is something that I wasn't alone in. But, but what happened to me during that moment was... I basically realized two things. Firstly, why am I having to mule basic period care products back to a city like Hong Kong? And secondly, why am I so mortified that this queue of people have seen that I menstruate? And particularly the latter thought really, really bothered me. And it bothered me mm -hmm. during the flight. It continued to bother me when I landed back in Hong Kong. And it sparked what then became a number of years of research into menstrual health. So initially it just started with casual conversations with women and men around me about menstruation. And I started to realize that something that I had thought I was fairly empowered in an area I had thought I was quite empowered in um, wasn't the case. I really knew nothing about this topic, this experience that happened to me every single month. Um, other than just the fact that you bleed, I really, and, and that you might feel a bit crap, I really didn't know anything really more about it. And that was mirrored to me in conversations with women um, in Hong Kong. And at the time, so this was around 2016, I was really gaining momentum with these conversations, but I actually then got a job in Shanghai. 
Um, and I think in 2016, if getting hold of tampons was difficult in Hong Kong, it was even more difficult in Shanghai. And these conversations just really rapidly started to evolve. I was advertising on WeChat for people to come and meet me after work or on the weekend to talk about periods, total strangers. And, um, and they did, to be honest. I don't know if they were incentivized by the free cup of coffee or the free snack. But for whatever reason, people did start to come to these conversations, which then evolved into workshops. So they were predominantly at, the, at first surrounding the topic of tampons. I realized that I, somebody like me who had for so many years really relied on this product and actually just to take you back as to why I was so passionate about tampons. Mm -hmm. I, when I was younger, had been given pads by my mum, like so many girls she yeah. had given me ads when I started menstruating and that's all I used for a couple of years but I bled so heavily when I first started my period I, I look back now and I think I had a hormone imbalance because I also had really bad cystic acne at the time mm. and I was bleeding so heavily through a pad within an hour so for the first two years of my period it was incredibly traumatic I um, would leak all the time. I stopped playing sports, which was an incredibly important part of my life. Um, I didn't really socialize during my period because I was just genuinely so scared of leaking. It was, it was awful. And after a couple of years of this trauma, I just decided enough was enough. Like, how can this be the experience for the next you know, 30 odd years of my life? And I just stole <laughs> out of her bathroom, a packet of my mom's tampons and, forced myself to try them that experience really changed my life because it, it didn't make my experience of menstruation perfect by any means but it allowed me to start doing sports again it stopped the leaking so much and it really was a game changer in so many ways cut then to um, in my mid-20s in Shanghai when I was talking to women and realizing that the adoption of tampons in China and across Asia was really really low because of many things like cultural taboos and being really under discussed I really wanted to make sure that women at least had the confidence to try that product and not have to have that really lonely, um, scary experience of trying this product that I had when I was younger. That's what was really inspiring those conversations and those workshops. It wasn't a belief that I was totally empowered about my period and that I knew all there was to know about this topic. It was just really born out of that very personal experience that I'd had and wanting to share that with other women but you know all, ironically during during those conversations I was fully aware that a product like the menstrual cup was totally abhorrent to me at the time frankly I just thought it sounded awful and so yeah again I was very very aware that I didn't know it all and, and never attested to um, it was a case of you know breaking down down, down those barriers for, for other women and myself that was the, the phase one of Luna, which at which stage I had no idea I, I wanted to, to start a company at all. Um, but it, it was really through that research that I started to learn more about the, the role that the traditional feminine care industry had played in deepening these stigmas. And I think um, contributing to the confusion and shame around menstruation that so many of us feel. And um, I guess it was when I realized actually that the pads and tampons I had been using for many years, um, although those tampons had empowered me in all the ways I mentioned earlier, when I realized during my research that they were made of materials that were causing my recurring yeast infections, mm. that's when 
the tipping point came and I realized that I had to marry all of this education and community building that I've been doing with physical products and therefore start a company. Wow. wow. First of all, I just want to say thank you for sharing all of that. Oh, I know a lot, sure of a lot of info, <laughs> but a lot of good info, I have to say, because yeah. it almost was like a good essay, right? It had some little ethos, some pathos and some logos there. You got, <laughs> you gave us some information. Um, but I really appreciate you sharing your story as well, because I think a lot of girls growing up have anything but regular period stories. Like I think in the movies or these, at least for me, I remember reading like these American girl books about what a period is like. Remember my mom giving them to exactly me? I know exactly which book right? you're talking about. The three Literally. girls in the cover with their towel on their head. 100%. I know. I was like, that never happened. <laughs> and yeah, everyone has a weird period story because they're a weird thing. Doesn't mean weird is bad. I'm weird. Weird is being amazing. But the idea that there's this like normal progression, there's everything is different and there's so much shame to it as well, which I, I find so sad. There, it, what other part of your body is natural as this should be so shameful? So with kind of that in mind, um, no chemicals, no taboos, no secrets has been really the bedrock of Luna. I've seen this on the amazing campaigns you have on WeChat, which you guys still keep such a, an amazing active community in China. Um, so this being the bedrock, no chemicals, no taboos, no secrets. How do you think this helps differentiate you from other peer care brands in the industry? That's a really good question. My investor pitch back in 2018, the kind of market slide looked very different to how it would today. Back then, there were very few companies that were addressing this issue. There were a couple, they were predominantly in the US, but they were very thin on the ground. And therefore, what we were doing was actually in a very unique space. Now, which is brilliant with the evolution of the global menstrual movement, there are so many more companies working in this space in many di different various forms. And I think alongside that, you've really seen, especially in the last 12 months, the massive evolution of the femtech industry, which is very, very cool because I hate to almost think of women in kind of um, just market terms, but it's but we've been an untapped consumer base for so long, which sounds cold, but it just means that there's been very little discussion, very little investment and very little research into our bodies and lives. And it's amazing to see this space evolve so much. What we now are doing is really finding like what role does Luna play um, in this in this market? You know, I think firstly, the the actual geographical footprint that we have still makes us very, very unique. There's still in our main markets, which is Hong Kong, mainland China, and we will expand beyond those. But in those in these particular markets right now, there's still a lot of work to be done. Still very few players in, in this space. So in terms of what Luna's doing to really spark this discussion around menstrual stigma and period wellness, we definitely are um, the first to be doing that in these markets. What is really important to us as we grow is how can we be contributing long-term, not just to changing the lives of the individuals and community members that we serve through products, but really looking to make policy changes. Now at the moment, we're working with schools and corporates to implement menstrual health policies um, that will really benefit their staff and students. But we hope through building these really strong case studies that in the future, you know, we could take this to government level, you know, in the way that you've seen Scotland provide free period care, really look at implementing these changes fundamentally 
into society. And that's really where we see our role in this space. I love that. Um, we're very fortunate on campus to actually have free period care products, but it's probably the first time in my life that I've seen um, like a campus really endorse this mm -hmm. because growing up, especially in Hong Kong, um, and especially where I feel like most of my period education and education about like my menstrual health came directly from my loved ones, my mother, my sister who had experienced it and not from like a formal education standpoint. I feel like the work that you were doing at Luna is going to be truly transformational for so many young girls who have such a limited scope and limited perspective of what a period is and how to care for themselves during their period. Um, and on policy changes, I remember I had a friend in high school who would literally faint on the train um, because of period cramps and the doctors couldn't figure out they kept prescribing her like super high dosages of pain relief and just the fact that she like didn't know when she started the period that wasn't a normal experience for her I definitely see places where policy change can help her get excused absences in the future and help her deal with her period in a more positive way for sure yeah that's a really common story and it's so sad and frustrating that yeah. we have normalized that debilitating pain and again I think even though the fentech industry and the the menstrual movement is taking off as I described earlier there's mm -hmm. still such a vast gap when it comes to the research and investment in understanding why that pain comes about and how that we solve it for these women but I think absolutely the first step is to make sure that we're not normalizing those negative experiences and that's really something that's at the heart of Luna's core values. It's let's look at what menstruation actually is. It's not just bleeding once a month. It contributes to our every single day physical and mental wellness as women. So I think that with so much amazing conversation also being generated around the conversation of mental health, that also really needs to be the integration of talking about menstruation from this aspect as well and this understanding that it's such a such a critical part of our everyday well-being for sure and i love this idea you talked about it kind of at the beginning of the podcast how you had conversations with both women and men about periods and one of my favorite memories i think from high school is actually talking to a bunch of my guy friends and just asking them like what do you think a period is? Like, what do you think menstruation is? And they had these like wild ideas. Like one of them was like, you do it once a month. And I was like, what do you mean you do it once a month? And he's like, it's like going to the bath. It's like going to the toilet, like once a month. Like, I don't get what the big deal is. And he yeah. thinks- Like a tap on and off, right? Yeah, exactly. He's like- <laughs> High pressure, you, low pressure, hot, yeah, cold. You just sit yeah, there yeah. for an hour um, and you like get your period out. And I was like, well, if we want to educate about like, period and like period education is so important for women, but also it's so important for males to understand what we have to go through um, just from like relationship standpoints, but even in schools and the ways that schools um, talk about menstruation as well. And I'm definitely excited to see how Luna shapes that conversation in the future. So love to learn more about what a world where women have a healthy relationship with their period looks like. I recently just did a, uh, a TEDx talk in Hong Kong about this topic. Uh, the TED talk was called More Than Blood, Building a Period Positive Future. 
it basically talked about what I just mentioned, you know, the fact that menstruation really does affect our mental and physical wellness as women. So a world in which we value and appreciate that requires us to look at everything from, you know, insurance policies. I could talk for like four hours on just the, the mere fact that insurance policies don't support women, particularly in Hong Kong and in mainland China, don't support with the wealth of specific health things that women need to navigate simply because we menstruate. So we need to look at like insurance policies. Um, we need to look at the way that we talk about periods in the workplace. And that includes, you know, training for people of all genders in these organizations, which is what Luna is doing more and more of training on how you can talk about these this issue in a way that isn't shameful and that is empowering and again like doesn't look at menstruation as something that makes somebody weak as well I think that's a really crucial part it's like period positivity talks about menstruation in a way that is empowering and so it's not just about not talking about it negatively it's actually talking about it in a really positive positive light of course access to products must be normalized so those kind of three key areas um, if I focus in on the latter it's really fantastic that your university is providing free period products that really puts it in the minority for sure I think the next step with these amenities programs is to make sure that the products that are being provided are also eco-friendly because what we find is in a lot of the cases where people are already doing this I'm not throwing shade at the the companies or organizations who have done this like this is a great first step but when Luna comes in and we kind of ask them a little bit more about the products they're providing it's very very clear that they too don't know the ingredients of these products, which means you actually don't know what you're supplying your students or your staff. You don't know the materials um, that they're exposing their very absorbent part of their body to. So therefore you don't understand true the long-term health implications. And indeed you don't understand the environmental implications of those products. So but by all means, I think the first step is get those products in there so we can start under, like normalizing the idea of free period products. And then the next step is to go, okay, let's look at what these products are made of and make sure that they are safe for our bodies and the planet okay if I could like, double tap 100% double triple like I'm serious like I think what you speak to especially about education I think it's wonderful that Waylon and like campus and other campuses like are starting to this but again you're right it's a first step like that's the bare minimum when you go to a toilet there's toilet paper like it's a natural human thing it's not you're not asking for an extra hairbrush you're not asking for something that's accessory or an amenity mm -hmm. It's a basic human right for hygiene purposes in the same way you have a paper towel. So I completely, completely agree with where you're coming from. On the note of education, though, sort of switching gears from our first topic about why sustainable period care, I'd love to go back to sort of the root of education, because although we see a lot of universities and even countries like um, in Europe that are starting to have free period care and more education about it, as we mentioned, it really does start about where you are as a young girl when you're first learning about that. So for Waylon and I, those American girls. So with that in mind, where do you see those opportunities for young girls to learn more about period care in their school? And how is Luna and yourself doing to help this? I, some of the favorite things that we do is our education with girls who haven't started menstruating and young boys as well. I think that age group it always has a really profound effect on me to see how kids that age digest information because 
when we work with children who are sort of maybe seven or eight years old, what's really interesting is that the concept of menstrual stigma doesn't exist for them. And that's really powerful to be faced with that. You know, normally we're in a room full of people, you know, my age, so in their thirties or teenagers, obviously everybody understands that this is a currently an awkward and embarrassing topic. But when you work with young children, it just really isn't. And, you know, we've, we saw that very quickly that talking about menstrual stigma um, didn't work with that age group because they didn't understand what it was. So the point here is that with anything, when you start educating early enough, you, I think, have the power to really ensure that this stigma doesn't evolve and breed start to affect the lives of these people in the long term but of course to to do that it means that you can't just educate the children you really have to educate the people around them who do carry with them that menstrual stigma so my the favorite my favorite project that we've done we've only done it once but we had a really enthusiastic school who allowed us to do education not just for the teenagers but for the young kids as well Mm -hmm. and their parents and the teachers which to me was just really exciting because of course that doesn't mean that we can eradicate menstrual stigma for these young children in all walks of life, but the people that they are around, surrounded by like parents and teachers and friends, we've been able to really expand that sphere of knowledge in a really, really productive way. Um, But to do that, you know, to, to scale that and make it really, really productive, obviously takes a lot of time, resources and money, but that's really where we want to get to in the future. But I guess going back to the original question, education from a young young age really does allow us to do things like normalize the vast array of sustainable menstrual products that are available in the market. In those mums and daughters workshops, the mums actually have the reaction to the menstrual cup that I had when I first saw a menstrual cup, which is like, oh no, a cup in my vagina, that sounds awful. (laughs) Whereas the girls are often like, wow this is so cool like it's bright pink it's really squidgy it saves loads of plastic that's amazing and that kind of reaction is really really powerful again because they are eight years old so for them the option of those reusable products is going to be normalized hopefully by the time they do start menstruating Um, and hopefully through that we'll see a generation of menstruators adopting these reusable products and then hopefully um, well tied to that you know a vast reduction in, in plastic period waste. I love the idea of doing like mom and daughter workshops at such a young age as well. I feel like when I think like when I have kids in the long, long, long future, like I don't even know where I would start to like learn how to like teach my kid about it. And then I feel like I would just revert to my own personal experience. And I grew up with a mom who never used a tampon in her life. Basically, I never had access to tampons. The idea of a menstrual cup didn't wasn't even like part of the conversation. But it's honestly so inspiring to hear these like young eight-year-olds who know that they have options and to know that they have sustainable options when it comes to their periods. But also I imagine during those workshops when the moms are surprised and the young girls are like, whoa, that's so cool. Like it builds a relationship for the mother with their own period as well, which I think is super cool. Really awesome. And I think another another element that's really cool that we integrate into those workshops is the hormonal health side of things, which I think is 
in a, in a truly period positive world, we would understand a little bit at least of the complexities of that menstrual cycle. So the girls and the mums oftentimes we get we allocate them each a different hormone and we get them to you know rise and fall physically like a fun, very active game um, to kind of mirror the way that those hormones rise and fall throughout the month. And uh, one of the mums that came to one of our workshops in Hong Kong actually told me that one day she was really in a lot of pain and um, her eight-year-old daughter just kind of sauntered past one day and was like, oh, mommy, like, I, I guess it looks like you're in your luteal phase of your cycle. And I think that's also really amazing because having that understanding and appreciation for the, the kind of inner workings of your body is something that so many women, myself included, um, just didn't get at an early age. No, absolutely. I think so many people feel almost cheated by the time they're adult. They're like, I didn't know this was going to happen. And like, why is it this way? So definitely important to start as a young girl to learn about this in like a healthy celebratory way, less of like this curse is going to happen when you turn 13, which I feel like is what the society puts it on right now. Um, so yeah, love that word. Anecdote about that. Um, I grew up definitely like with like a taboo with my period. I feel like that's very common within Asian households. But one of my friends here at college, she grew up in Pennsylvania and they threw period parties every time they had like, they're a household of like the ad. Yeah. The always ad. (laughs) And they literally had like red colored food, like red colored balloons every single time each of their daughters got their periods. And I was like, whoa, that's like the whole other side of the spectrum. (laughs) (laughs) No, absolutely. I remember being at tennis camp when I was in sixth grade. And this is the year before I got my first period. And I remember my friend saying, like, have you seen these ads? This is when the always ad run like a girl came out. That was like, amazing for me yeah because I didn't know what always was I didn't know what the brand was because I never mm-hmm. had a period so why would I have known it so I was like okay whatever always add then I saw that camp gyro ad where it's like this girl who goes to camp and she's the first one to get a period and she's like the period mentor to all her friends um but then there's also like a first moon party one which is so 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 funny it's about um a girl faking her period and her mom wants to embarrass her by like throwing her at first period party but yeah I think it's amazing. Like in Jewish tradition, we do bat mitzvahs. Like it's like the coming of age, like the period party. I love that. Exactly. Okay. So we all come to different, different places, different backgrounds, different educations about period. But if you could give a 10 minute presentation about periods, what are the three top points you would include? Such a good question. I would choose the role of um, discussion, the role of products and the role of policy. So those three areas, which I've touched upon today, but I think those are really the three key areas that we need to address when we're thinking about how to really build that period positive future that we've already talked about. So making sure that we create access to products, making sure that we spark discussion and making sure that we're looking at the opportunity to make those really critical policy changes. That's truly amazing. And I think if you ever hold a presentation on those three topics, I would definitely be in attendance. I would love to touch a little bit on allergies in terms of period care. You kind of mentioned one of your big problems was when you use tampons, you had yeast infections. And I feel like that's a very common experience, but not very commonly talked about. Um, How can women learn more about like the possible allergies or how can they really start learning more about their period and educating themselves about it. When it comes to taboos, I feel like 
we've made progress, yes, in talking about menstruation, but when it comes to talking about yeast infections or the topic of like discharge, that is just a step too far for people who are even talking about periods, which is fine. Let's take the step by step. The topic of yeast infections and going that extra step to understand your body, like looking at the changes in discharge, for example, throughout the month and what that might tell you about your your health. I feel like that's still something that needs a lot of work. And I really hope that Luna can be part of kind of overcoming the, the taboos and stigmas around that topic, which is so closely tied to menstruation. But yeah, certainly still considered um, very, for lack of a better word, like icky for so many people. The first thing I would say in order to explore your own relationship with your period is just asking yourself, do I have a positive experience when my period comes? And being really sure to focus on the word positive rather than just do I not hate this experience I don't want to sit here and say that periods can be really fun and great all the time I have actually noticed my cramps getting worse over the last kind of 6-12 months some people have told me it's age some people have told me it's like maybe work stress like whatever it is that's something I'm personally exploring but I am not going to sit here and say that it's all like fun and games but I think the point here is if you are experiencing negative symptoms whether it's yeast infections or cramps or headaches we should invest time in figuring out how to alleviate those symptoms and so that's why I say ask yourself am I having a positive time during my period do I feel like a good version of myself because nobody that's experiencing cramps and headaches um, and yeast infections feels like a good version of themselves you might not be wanting to run a marathon during your period like I sure as hell wouldn't <laughs> um, but I still feel like a good version of myself you know I can work maybe I want to work on the sofa with a cup of tea rather than like going and giving like a really intense presentation to a room full of investors um which you can't always avoid of course um but you know you can start to shape your life around the, the changes that you, you go through throughout the month in some cases and I think it's important that we at least try and integrate that where we can and hope that society kind of catches up in allowing us to do that 100 <laughs> percent one of the things I love about what you said is like really asking yourself, are you having a positive experience with your period? I remember I would have my period for maybe like seven days back in high school. And I would be like, oh, I'm on my period. I don't want to exercise. And then I remember reading somewhere, not sure exactly how true it is, but that your testosterone levels when you're on your period are actually higher than normal. You are stronger to some sense on your period. And that really changed my perspective about like exercising while I'm on my period. Because now when I'm on my period, I'm like, well, like, yes, I feel tired. Like maybe I have cramps, but mm. like I should maybe go to the gym and see like, am I stronger today? So yeah. that's been something that's been helpful in my journey for sure. Yeah, yeah no, I love that. And even this shared experience right now, like how we're all sharing little anecdotes of our life, which is, is something so special about periods or topics that are taboo like it's hard to get like in my experience of sending mass emails and spam like that's not a that's not an intimate topic no one can share their deepest darkest things but I think the companies that are the most impactful right now and that are really really moving the mood forward for values are the ones that are really tapping into the most human parts of being human and I can't think of anything more 
female or more womanly than having a period. So with that in mind and like having that community, so Luna is super unique in that it really gives like the power of the period to the people, almost like in a cool government structure way. But why do you think it was important for Luna and just in general for startups and new companies to have a community-based following or community-based movement? So now that I have a company and I'm seeing that so many brands are utilizing the power of community to grow, I realized that something that was just a no-brainer for me and just was such a natural way of evolving is actually a strategy that's being increasingly employed. As I, as you might be able to tell from the story I shared earlier, Luna was a community before it was a business. In fact, it was a community before I even thought about starting a company. It's always been at the heart and soul of everything we do, every the reason we exist, the changes that we make, the direction that we go in. This is all built out of listening to and speaking to our community members and the people that we serve. And I, I, I can't imagine running a business any other way. I love it. And I love how you were able to take your community and really put it at the forefront of what you're doing at your business. What was the structure like when you were bootstrapping the business and really trying to get the product out there, but at the same time, making sure that your community was expanding and making sure that you were listening to those around you that wanted to invest in your product? The first thing I'd say to that is... I don't think I always was able to keep the balance in the early days. I remember a a time when I was just so swallowed up for so many months on product and fundraising. And of course, when you're creating any kind of product, um, testing and research and feedback is really critical. And we definitely integrated that. But there was definitely a period of time when particularly it came to fundraising that I remember feeling just really swallowed by that process people say fundraising is a is a full-time job and that at that time yeah. I didn't have any team members so I I guess I didn't always balance the two very well but as soon as I was able to go back to the product that was created with the support of our community then kind of focused on fundraising for a while and then when I was able to bring all those pieces together then of course we were able to go back and, and with more support um, and, we, and give the love and care to the community that, that we knew was really, really important. So beautiful. So, so, so beautiful. And just, you're very eloquent in the way you speak. Really, really eloquent. Yeah, seriously. I don't know if this makes any sense, but in a world that periods are so taboo and so icky and disgusting, like you make periods sexy and that's awesome. Like, I love that. Like, make periods sexy. It. <laughs> I have not been told that before. I really like that. It's making true. Periods. <laughs> I like it. Anyways, <laughs> on that lovely note, as always, always say, I, I kind of just say what's on my mind, as always. Uh, I like it. So what are your hopes and dreams for the Luna community worldwide? So I know we've got mainland China and Hong Kong kind of popping off. Where do you see Luna in one, three, five, ten 10 years? I think our expansion worldwide is a ex- really exciting prospect for us. In, in 10 years, we really hope to have a footprint across the world. And we're already at the moment making changes that will help us get there. A big project for us this year is, and actually something we started at the end of last year, 
is to focus more on our, our digital uh, presence. So we've been building a platform that will allow us to be able to scale both the access to our products, but also the access to our education to people around the world, but also in the markets that we currently are in that we can't reach either because of COVID or because they are part of you know, a vulnerable community that we might not otherwise have access to. So I think the point here is to kind of democratize access to all of the things that we're currently doing with schools and corporates, you know, oftentimes clients who are, of course, paying us, how can we take that work and make sure that we create access to it for people whose companies or aren't in communities or organizations who are paying for it for them. I love that ecosystem that you are trying to build, and I can't wait to see it grow in the future. Kind of circling back on something that you said earlier, how when you were bootstrapping, like you didn't always have time to focus on um, the community part. I listened to a podcast today, and I thought it kind of resonated with me well. It basically said, like, at one point, you have all of your eggs in one basket, right? But you want to start having, like, a lot of different baskets, you can't all of a sudden just put like another 12 eggs in a whole new basket. Like you have to take eggs out of that one basket and you have to put it in there. So the fact that we hold ourselves to the standard of we have to do 100% or go 100% on all things at every time is just unrealistic. And I thought when you said that you couldn't do community as much as you wanted, but as soon as you could, you were able to balance those um, kind of reminded me of that. <laughs> yeah, I love that visual. That's really, really helpful. And it's it's important to know that because I definitely at one stage thought I had to do it all and was a failure if I wasn't doing it all. And that's another reason I think it's really important to approach the idea of entrepreneurship and being a founder particularly honestly a female founder I feel like so often now like we get this glossy makeover um you know like you raise a bit of funding you launch your products and then suddenly you're like there like looking chic all the time on your Instagram you know it's this kind of um to borrow a phrase from a New York Times article that I really like it's kind of like the girl bossification of female oh founders which is positive in in some ways but I think it's it's not where we want to be going I think with female foundership like we said earlier understanding that you know you have <laughs> not to get confused with actual biological eggs but you have limited eggs um, and you need to be really careful about which baskets you put those in um, and you're not always going to look good whilst doing it you're not always going to be Instagram worthy magazine cover worthy throughout that journey and it's important that we show that side I think not everybody has to do this I think it's important that some people show that side um because we don't want to be like girl bossified we want the playing field to be level and I think being held um accountable for doing really well commercially and always looking good and being positive and warm and friendly throughout it's just it's unachievable Absolutely. We talk about this a lot in our cover podcast, but this idea of being this it girl, you're not yeah. only a boss queen who's doing everything and is so, uh, so you're also so warm and fuzzy and personable. Yeah. Like you have everything and you've no weaknesses and you just are some sort of angel, like idealistic personified Messiah. And it just, it's unhelpful. It really yeah. is unhelpful. Like no one wants to feel like you feel disconnected. You feel less than yourself. So yeah, Will and I definitely resonate with that idea of like putting an end to that stigma yeah. um as we slowly start to wrap up the podcast though we'd love to ask you a few questions and the yeah. first one being what is something that you love about yourself today specifically today specifically today 
specifically today, I love about myself today that I have had a very intense couple of weeks. Like we're talking super, super intense. And I love that I've made social plans tomorrow and I'm going to be doing a hike on Sunday, which leaves very little room for work on the weekend. And that is something that I could be better at, I must admit. So I love myself for making that space for uh, a weekend that doesn't contain much work. (laughs) That's going to be awesome. And Hong Kong hikes hit a little different. Like I miss them so much. I look at pictures of hikes and I'm like, I can't wait to go back and do this. (laughs) They, they're they're an amazing thing to have access to for your mental health. I will say that. Yeah, for sure. What is something that you're grateful for today? I'm grateful for having a team who I trust and support me and support each other despite working remotely. And I'm actually thankful for that every day at the moment. <laughs> No, that's huge, 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 huge. Supportive team completely changes the vibe. And the remote is so difficult. But the fact that you guys have been able to translate that and like how powerful you guys are, even from like a simple WeChat group is just amazing. Like the stories people share on there like really, really moves me. So amazing job at that. And as we wrap up our podcast, we'd love to ask you our signature last question, which is what does it mean to you to be an entrepreneur? Oh, big question. For me, being an entrepreneur means being able to build a platform from which we can make positive impact in the world. I love that. That's so beautiful and a great way to end today's podcast. Um, For our audience who want to continue to follow your journey and Luna's journey, how can we support you and Luna? Um, I would just suggest going to um, either our WeChat or our website, Um, dropping us your email or some way of contacting you so you can keep up to date with the exciting things that we're doing. Do try our products, see if they help improve your period experience. And also actually, if you're in an organization that doesn't currently provide any education around menstrual health and doesn't provide access to free period products, just send over the contact of your HR or somebody at work. We'll do all the hard work for you. And let's see if we can get them making some of these important changes. Yes, absolutely. Let's do it. Let's do it. I just want to say thank you so much for sharing your journey. Thank you so much for sharing a lot of the people's journeys who actually don't have a voice or we can't unfortunately bring on the podcast today because I think it's so difficult to share every person, especially such a personal experience. But what I love about Luna is it opens up a conversation for people to do that wide scale and small scale. So I look forward to continuing to get my menstrual cups at Watson, seeing you guys wherever you are in the world. And honestly reversing the roles you said that you would go from europe uk to hong kong to read period care i'm yeah. going to paris next week and i think i might be bringing some period care can only get in hong kong luna yes. and bring it to europe oh, oh so, i love that that a is a full so circle cool. moment <laughs> a little full circle moment there yeah. thank you so 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 much olivia we've loved having you on thank you so much That wraps it up for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope hearing from Olivia about Luna Naturals empower you to have more conversations about period care. If you like this episode, subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening to this podcast now. Even better, leave us a five-star review and share your thoughts on this podcast. 
Want to get in touch, send a question or suggest a guest? We read every one of our emails and DMs. So please reach out to us at nihao at entrepreneursnetwork.com or the Entrepreneurs Network's Instagram. You can always check out the show notes for more ways to chat. The Entrepreneurs Podcast is just one of the podcast shows on the Entrepreneurs Network. Each podcast show explores its own niche community of women entrepreneurs. To explore our other shows, head over to our website, theentrepreneursnetwork.com. Thank you so much to our amazing team at the Entrepreneurs Network, especially today's podcast lead producers, Claire and Stephanie.